I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Matthew, as this morning we are in chapter 8, and we are starting a brand new sermon series this week. A brand new sermon series called What Faith Looks Like. Right off the bat, it doesn't really seem to gel very well when we think about what, is, what does faith look like. It's an internal quality with, that, that, that states external expression, but it's not a tangible item. It's not something that you could hold. It's not something that you can, can mold. In this series, however, we're going to look at faith, and we're going to see what it looks like when you have it. And we're going to see what you look like when you have it. In order for us, though, to dive into a sermon series on faith, I think it would be a very good idea for us to define what faith is and what it is that we're talking about. If you ask different people, what, what, is, what is faith? You're going to get a lot of different answers because in our world we use it, the, the word faith in different contexts. It, 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 there's, there's such this vague understanding of faith. Some people define it as hope. Somebody might define faith as, as maybe a, a wish. It comes across as this spiritual feeling that I'm not quite sure. And if I'm not quite sure, some people think, well, I can just make up my own definition. And then if you don't agree with my definition, then I can shame you for not agreeing with my definition. It's my definition, right? I want you to listen to some of the worldly sayings when it comes to faith. Have you ever heard this? Have you ever heard of a leap of faith? Maybe uh, 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 fight with faith. We've heard faith wins. We've heard faith, faith over fear. Maybe we've heard uh, faith is passion. These are, are worldly faith phrases. Or some of these other uses of faith. They can give us pause when we're determining what the definition of faith is. Sometimes in relationships, we use the word as to be faithful, right? Sometimes we might be looking at it and, and saying, I don't have faith in his testimony, which, which means I don't, I don't trust this person. But what does the Bible say when it's talking about faith? It's going to be important that we understand we have this understanding as we move forward. So we're going to look at some definitions of the word faith. We're going to start where we all start when we look for definitions. We're going to go to Webster and see what uh, Merriam-Webster says. The, uh, the Merriam-Webster dictionary says this, Faith is belief and trust in and loyalty to God or firm belief in something for which there is no proof. It's a pretty deep definition. Dictionary.com says... Faith is a firm belief in something for which there is no proof. We're starting to see a trend. Easton's Bible Dictionary says, Faith is in general the persuasion of the mind that a certain statement is true. There's that trend again. Watch this. According to the Bible, the writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews 11, verse number 1, says, Faith makes us sure of what we hope for and give us, gives us proof of what we cannot see. That's faith. So if our faith is based on hope and proof that we can't see or hear or, or hold, then how do we interact with this command that Jesus has given us to have faith? 
How do we recognize faith when we see it? Something that the Bible defines and tells us it's, it's something that we're supposed to build upon, but we can't see it. What is faith and how do I know if I have some? How do I know if I have uh, enough? How do I know if I'm exhibiting faith? How can I tell if I'm being faithful to God? What is it that I can do to increase my faith? Is it just doing what the Bible says? I just do what the Bible says, and that means that I have faith. I follow the instruction manual. That means I have faith. Or if I trust the Bible, isn't that proof enough that I have faith? We're going to look at all of this. Faith and trust. Faith and trust are two totally different items. Faith is part of this belief system. And, and it's believing that God says he is who he is, and he can do what only he can do. That's faith. But trust, trust takes things a step further. Trust is making this willful choice to trust that God will do what he promises. Faith is going to have to come first before trust. Faith this morning, it's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at this and what it looks like in its holy home, in your heart. We're going to dive into faith. Thomas Aquinas once said this. He says, to one who has faith, no explanation is necessary. But to one without faith, no explanation is possible. It's a deep saying. And we see that time and time and time and time and time again in the Bible. Is that we can't do it without faith. I'd like you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8. We're going to be in verses 5 through 13 this morning in a message that I have titled, The Evidence of Faith. When we recognize what real faith is and how it pertains to our life in Christ, we're able to grow in our faith. We're able to deepen our faith. Faith doesn't just happen because we magically will it to happen. We just, you know, we, we, we wish hard enough to be faithful and we put up a faith poster of a cat that's falling off of a branch that says, have faith and hang on, right? It takes more than a poster to grow our faith. We're going to see what the Bible has to say about faith and how it transforms lives. But before we can dive into our scripture this morning, we really need to set the scene. We need to see what's going on in the world, in the, in the time of Jesus. In, in, we're going to take a snapshot of this moment to see what's going on. We know over the last few weeks we've been studying Matthew chapter 7. It's the last chapter in the Sermon on the Mount. And as the title of the sermon suggests, Jesus is on a hill and he is preaching. And there are people, there are disciples and people who have listened to him preach on this hill. And now his sermon is done and he is starting to walk down and there are people who are following him and he's going from this mount down to a city called Capernaum. Capernaum is on the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee and it is a place where Jesus is going to make his, his ministry headquarters in Capernaum. The Jews at this time and in this land did not own their own land. They were not the governors of their own land. It was by and large the same land that God had given the, uh, the, the nation of Israel as they came out of the Exodus, out of Egypt, that, that God had given his people 
just centuries ago, but due to their disobedience, they were exiled, and they were allowed to come back, but the, the nation never really recovered. And over the centuries, the Jews in their land, in and around Jerusalem and, and, and Judea and Samaria and Galilee and in these areas, they were conquered by many other neighboring nations. Many other governments would from time to time come and take over this territory. At this moment in time, the Jews were under the rule of the Romans. This is now a Roman territory all of your taxes go to Rome. I want you to think of it like this. We're going to look at this a little modern day for a moment. I want you to imagine that here in America, if our nation was conquered by the Russians, I, I know that in many areas of our culture we have this, this distaste for, for Russia, Russians, Russian culture going back just... Uh, generations, but I want you to imagine that America is taken over by the Russians. They are in control, okay? Now imagine that, that you get to go about your life, and you get to go about your job, and you get to go and, and worship, but there are Russians everywhere. Like, all of the laws that you follow, they're created by the Russians, and all of the policemen, all of the guards, they all have on uh, Russian uniforms, right? The, the government officials in our land are, are all Russian officials now. Even more than that, people from, from Russia start moving into your neighborhood, and they start speaking your language, and people that live in your neighborhood start, start becoming, like the culture of the Russians now starts becoming the culture of your neighborhood and of, of, and of your city. When you're out in the public square, Russian guards are keeping the peace. It would have been like that back in Jesus' day. There were Roman soldiers everywhere living amongst the Jews. They would keep the peace because Rome was in charge of the land. It was Rome's territory. You'd pay your taxes. It doesn't go to the nation that you love. No, it goes to the nation that controls the land that you love. This is a scenario of what's going on at this time period. Wouldn't we say that that would frustrate us a little bit? That if we as Americans and, and we're being governed by another nation that has come in and taken over our land, that would probably frustrate us. We'd have frustration, we'd have resentment for maybe the soldiers that are, that are out on the streets that we see, Right? We would be very frustrated that somebody is governing our land and it's not us and we can't get our territory back. <clears throat> now with that, the Jews knew that they have to be peaceful to the, to the Romans. See, the Romans are much more powerful and they're much more cruel. The laws say that the Roman guards could grab any Jew that's walking on the street and tax him any way that he wants to. He can make up taxes on the spot and take money from him, just like that. Or he can basically turn him into his slave for the day or as long as he wants. Whatever that Roman soldier says, if you are Jewish in this territory, you must comply, you must obey. Resentment? Probably a lot. The Jews are not going to be terribly fond of their captors, of those who are ruling the land. 
There would have been thousands of Roman soldiers that would have lived in and around this territory at the time. Many soldiers working in the area. These soldiers would have been grouped, grouped in groups of 80 to 100. And you would have a leader of that group of 100 soldiers. There'd be many of these groups, but the leader is called a centurion. This is a soldier who has authority over up to a, a hundred other soldiers. These are Roman soldiers. These guys are trained. They're trained well. And honestly, they look down on the Jews. These are people who they kind of have to take care of and they've got to manage and they've got to keep the peace. But the Roman soldiers certainly have a chip on their shoulder and think they're so much better than everyone else. And if you were a Jew and if you were to pass a centurion on the street, he would strike fear into you. He would strike respect out of you and resentment in your heart because he and his people are occupying your land. With that setting, come with me to Matthew chapter 8. We're going to start in verse number 5. It says, when Jesus returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him, Lord, my young servant lies in bed, paralyzed and in terrible pain. Jesus said, I will come and heal him. But the officer said, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. In the book of Luke, Luke records this as well. And Luke says in Luke 7, verse number 2, he says, At that time, a highly valued slave of the Roman officer, the officer is a centurion, a highly valued slave was sick and near death. That leads us to point number one in your notes this morning. If you're joining us for the first time, you'll see in your bulletin on the left-hand side, there's some fill-in-the-blanks, and I'm going to give those to you, and they're going to be up here on the screen as well. Point number one in your notes this morning, faith looks humble. In our series on what faith looks like, first point in your notes, faith looks humble. Here we have a Roman soldier who would have looked at himself as somebody of much higher status than any of the Jews in the territory. This Roman soldier has access. He's an employee of the Roman government. He has a really good Kaiser health plan, right? This guy has some great medical. But you know what he's doing? He's coming to Jesus... And I want you to recognize that he's not asking Jesus for help for himself. He's not asking Jesus for help for a family member. He's asking Jesus for help because one of his slaves is in terrible distress. One of his servants. It would literally be translated as a slave. I want to look at that for just a moment, okay? In our modern culture, in American culture, we look at slavery through an American lens. This is a different lens of slavery. People in those days, they could be a slave for numerous different reasons. As a matter of fact, they could volunteer themselves into slavery. Somebody might owe somebody a debt that they can't pay, and now they're going to become their slave for a certain amount of time to pay off their debt. Or maybe somebody is so homeless and they are in, in such dire straits and they are in poverty that they put themselves in the slavery of somebody else. But this Roman soldier loved his slaves so much, almost like a family member, 
that he says, this man needs help. There is something that, that this person in my home that I care about so much that he desperately needs attention. Whatever the case was, the Roman soldier cared so much about this servant that he went to a Jew for help. Think about this. What if one of the Russian soldiers in our made-up modern-day scenario, what if one of those Russian soldiers was to seek out one of the Americans for health care? How humiliating would that be to the other Russian soldiers back at the base camp? Wouldn't that be humiliating, you think? What do you think the other soldiers would have, would have said if they, if they would have known that, that this, this Roman authority, this man who has control over a hundred soldiers, went and sought out a Jew for help? This man had to humble himself. To come to a position of faith. As a matter of fact, you cannot have faith without humility. Because to have faith, it means that you, that you are admitting that there is something that you cannot see that has more power and strength than you do, and you absolutely believe in it. Faith. Being humble is putting you, is, is putting yourself in a position to be humiliated and to be perfectly okay with it. That's being humble. In the book of Psalms, chapter 51, verse 17, it says, The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. This is God, is the author telling God, The sacrifice that you Desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and a repentant heart, O oh God. A broken and a repentant heart. A broken heart is the first step to humility. So when we say, what does faith look like? The first thing that faith looks like is humility. It's humbling ourselves. It's actually not even looking at ourselves it's, it's understanding that we can't do it. Humility is admitting that, that we need Jesus. You cannot have faith without being humble. Because if you're in a position to tell yourself that you can do it all, then you're not operating off of faith. You're operating off of your own strength. You're operating off of the, the physical things that you're able to define easily. Would it be fair to say that deep inside, deep inside your heart, we know how strong we are and we know that we're not strong enough? Think about it for a minute. Deep inside your heart, you know how strong you are. We know we're not strong enough. Faith isn't physical. Faith is spiritual. This Roman soldier realized that he needed Jesus. He humbled himself to call on the Lord. Even though he is mighty in rank, 
It's interesting, this, this Roman soldier, as he continues to talk, he's going to bring up this point. He's going to talk about this because this is really important to him and it's important for him to get his point across to Jesus. This explains his status as a leader. Come back with me. We are in uh, Matthew 8. We're in verse number 9. It says, But the officer, the centurion, said, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. Verse 9, I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go and they go or come and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. He's recognizing something so important. It's point number two in your notes. Faith recognizes the authority of Jesus. Faith recognizes the authority of Jesus. This Roman soldier told Jesus, he says, just say the word. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. He didn't say, will you please come and bring your doctor bag to my servant? No. He has faith that Jesus only has to say one word. Isn't that deep faith? He's expressing this belief that Jesus has the ability and the authority over sickness and disease. And he's expressing that, that Jesus also has an authority that is beyond himself. This Roman soldier is saying that I recognize that the authority in Jesus comes from the Father. Amen. To the centurion, understanding the chain of command is important to the authority of Jesus. When it comes to recognizing authority, I think the military is a great place for us to look at as an illustration. This man comes from the military. If you are in the military, you understand chain of command. If you've got an issue, you don't go up three people, right? There's a chain of command. You've got one person you talk to. And that person can talk to the next person. And you might have people below you, and you are their chain of command. Authority is so important, especially to this man. He understands authority. He is an authority, and there is authority over him. If he says, go, do this, the people under him, they go and do it. They don't ask questions. They just go and do it. He knows this. He's a man that understands authority, and even having the authority that he has, he is humbling himself to a Jew, to a guy that he's hearing about, a guy that he's heard about from the other Jews who he supposed to look down on. And he's got faith that this guy, that this Jew, that this Jesus can heal my servant who I care so much about and I love so much so interesting that this leader, this armed Roman, this member of the armed Roman forces recognizing, recognizes this authority when others, other Jews simply don't. I want you to see what, 
What Jesus says, or, or what, what Matthew writes in Matthew 21, this is going a few chapters down the road, Matthew writes this, when Jesus returned to the temple and began teaching, the leading priests and elders came up to him and they demanded, by what authority are you doing all of these things? Who gave you the right? Jesus had gone into the temple and, and, and he's starting to, to just trash the place and tell them, you're not going to sell things in my father's house. And they say, what gives you the authority, Jesus? God the Father gives Jesus the authority. See, the Jewish leaders, they didn't recognize it. They would not, they purposefully would not recognize the authority of Jesus. But this Roman soldier does. He does. The Apostle John writes this in his gospel. In John 10, verse 18, he says, No one can take my life from me. This is Jesus' words. I sacrifice it voluntarily, for I have the authority to lay it down when I want and also to take it up again. For this is what the Father has commanded. You and I have authority over some things in our lives. Maybe you're a parent, you've got authority over the kids. Maybe you're not. Maybe you just raised some pets and you've got authorities over the dogs. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. There's something in your life that you have authority over. If you have the authority to lay your life down and then to take it up when you want to, raise your hand. We don't have that authority, but Jesus does. If you and I are going to have deep faith, we must recognize the authority of Jesus. Jesus calmed the seas. See, he has authority over nature. Jesus healed this slave from miles away. He has authority over sickness and disease and distance. The time and distance didn't stop this miracle. The New Testament says that Jesus' hand was deeply involved in creation, showing that he has authority over everything you see, everything you hear, everything you feel, everything you touch. Do you know that this morning that, do you know the depth of the authority of Jesus this morning? I don't know what it is that you're struggling with this morning, but I want you to know right now, Jesus has authority over your struggles. Do you know that Jesus has the authority? He has the authority over your, your job struggles. You know, Jesus has the authority over your relationships. He has authority even over a, over a marriage. You know, you stood before a judge or you stood before a priest and you gave Jesus authority over your marriage, are you still humbling yourself and giving him that authority? At work, are we still humbling ourselves and giving him that authority? You know that Jesus has authority over your job, over your marriage, over your finance, over your thoughts, over your kids, over your health. He has authority over all aspects of your life. Are you giving him the reins or are you holding that wheel for yourself? You want proof of your faith? Ask yourself, how much am I relying on Jesus or am I relying on my own power and not giving these things over to the Almighty? What is it in, in your life that you're holding on to? 
Remember, we already looked inside to see the amount of strength we have. The authority and strength of Jesus is limitless. It has no end. I'll tell you, my strength, it's about this much. I don't know how much strength you've got. But compared to Christ's strength, this is nothing. Why am I trying to live my life on my own strength of this? The strength of Jesus is so much more. I want you to know this, and this is huge. Jesus also has the ability to forgive. He has the authority to forgive. I want you to think about that for a minute. Sometimes we, we struggle with forgiveness. Sometimes we struggle to forgive ourselves. Sometimes we, we, we struggle in, in our lives with, with others. Sometimes we know that, that others are struggling with us. Jesus has the authority to forgive you. Isn't that amazing? To sit back and, and realize that Jesus has the authority to forgive you. If Jesus can show his authority over death, I promise you that he has the authority over whatever it is that you're going through this morning. He has the authority over death. He's the only one that on his own power has walked out of the grave, walked out of the tomb by his own will and power. I don't have that power. You don't have that power. You don't have that strength, but your Lord does. There's always going to be somebody who says, Pastor, I don't, I don't, I don't, know, I don't know enough about Jesus. I'm, man, I've, I've only been coming to church for a couple of months. I just, I just dusted off my Bible. It's old. I've just started reading. I don't know where to start. I've only been doing this church thing for a little while. I'm, I'm, I am terribly inadequate. I don't get this whole religion thing. I don't know all of these stories. And I want you to know something. Jesus actually, <laughs> Jesus actually, he has a way of doing this. He answers your objection before you even object. He answers that before you even say it. Watch this. He comes back in verse number 10, chapter, Matthew 8, verse number 10. He says this, when Jesus heard this, when he heard this from the centurion, he was amazed. Turning to those who were following him, he says, I tell you the truth. I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. And I tell you this that many Gentiles will come from all over the world, from east and west, and they will sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. But many Israelites, those for whom the kingdom was prepared, they will be thrown into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I want you to see what Jesus is saying. Point number three in your notes this morning is this. Faith is not based on religious knowledge. Faith is not based on religious knowledge. He says he's been looking all over the countryside for genuine faith. He hadn't found it. Jesus, in, in, in this scripture, Jesus is surprised. He is astonished. Jesus isn't above being surprised and astonished. He says it right here. He, he, he says he, he's amazed by what he has found. He has found genuine faith in a Roman soldier. And then he turns around and he tells this crowd, mostly a Jewish crowd that's been following him, 
He says, I want you to look at this man. This man is not one of the teachers in the temple. He's not of our lineage. He's not Jewish. He's a Roman soldier. Look at the depth of his faith. He didn't grow up in Torah school. He didn't grow up going to the temple until he was, was 12 years old. He didn't grow up with what we've grown up with. He has no clue about all the depth of the Jewish religion. As a matter of fact, there are Jews, he's saying, that are deeply religious and have knowledge of, of who I am, but they don't have any faith in me. He says, look at this man. His faith is not based upon religious knowledge. Do we need to be seminary students or have 15 years of church experience under our belt to have faith in Jesus? No. No. Whoever you are and wherever you are in your Christian walk this morning, you can have faith in Jesus that he can forgive your sins and save your soul. I want you to see this. Finally, what Jesus says to this Roman officer in Matthew 8, where in verse number 13, Jesus says this. Then Jesus said to the Roman officer, Go back home. Because you believed, it has happened. And the young servant was healed that same hour. Here's the final point in your notes this morning. Faith is obedient to Jesus. Faith is obedient to Jesus. Jesus turned around and he assured this man, he says, because of your faith, because of your faith, your servant has been healed. And then he gives them a command. He says, I want you to go home. Go home. Your faith has healed your servant. Jesus says, my work in this situation is done. Go home. If Jesus had just shown what, what he could do, and then, and then if he had shown you what he could do, and then he turned around and he asked something from you, why is it that we don't do it? I wonder if you've ever been in a situation where somebody... Somebody in your life has done something nice for you, and they didn't ask anything in return, but you kind of know that there's a way that you could bless them, and, and, and if you serve them, that it would be highly respectable to the situation, right? Somebody has done something nice for you, and you could turn around, or maybe they do ask for something from you. We turned around, we're like, nah, uh-uh, no. It's okay, cool. Thanks. Thanks for doing that super cool thing for me. Why is it that Jesus says, I can forgive you and I can save your soul, but I give you commands and we turn around and we just walk away? And we're not following in obedience in what he's asking us to do. That's what happens with our relationship with Jesus. How can we expect his blessings, but we don't follow him in obedience? We've all seen his blessings in our life. We've all seen the results of our faith in Jesus. It might be small, 
And it, and it might be something that I'd have to ask you to go home and start writing down the blessings that Jesus has given you. And I want you to see a list of your faith. I want you to see what Christ has done. And if you haven't recognized that in the past, I want you to look at that because that, that's where Jesus and has been faithful to you. See, the depth of your faith has no bearing on the depth of Christ's faith in you. He's always going to be faithful. Obedient, disobedient, no matter how far you walk away, he is always going to be faithful to you. You know what faith looks like? Faith looks like us being obedient to him. That's what faith looks like. How can we show our faith if we're not going to be obedient? You know why some people struggle with things like the tithe? The tithe, I'm literally talking about 10% of our income, giving it back to God. You know why some people struggle with the tithe? Faith. Faith. You know why some people struggle to let go of, maybe let go of past hurts? Faith. Faith. Remember, faith makes us. Remember what is in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Faith is being sure of what we hope for, and it gives us proof of what we cannot see. That means that you and I, we're not going to have all of the answers. Faith understands that we are not going to have all of the answers. We're not. Christ is so much bigger than we are. His kingdom is so much bigger than we are. I'll be honest with you, I don't think that our minds can hold all of the answers that we want. Faith. That means that we're not going to be able to check every single box. Romans, in the, in the, in the book of Romans, chapter 1, verse number 5, it says this, Through Christ, God has given us the privilege and authority as apostles to tell Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them so that, watch this, they will believe and obey, bringing glory to his name. If we're going to teach others to obey, it'd probably be fair for us to also be in obedience. Amen? I know that you come into a conversation here in a sermon about faith, and sometimes we don't come out of the sermon with any more answers than we had when we walked in. Faith is not one of those categories that is easily defined. It's because faith is something that you can't touch. It's something that you can't hold. It doesn't fit into rational thinking. Faith is a gift. Faith is, is desperately needed in our lives and in our hearts and in every aspect of your Christian walk. As a matter of fact, we are we're saved by grace through faith. It's grace that God has given us to save our souls through our faith. You can't have grace without faith. You can't accept the grace of God without having faith in God for who He is. See, if you don't have any faith, then God's grace is irrelevant. 
Oh, His grace is there, waiting for us to accept it. But how can we accept something like grace that's not tangible, that we can't hold on to, if we don't have faith, something that's not tangible that we can't hold on to? Faith is so important. This morning, this morning as David comes, we're going to take some time. We're going to go to prayer for faith. Faith is so much more than simply a word. It's so much more than simply something that somebody else has more of. It's something that our life is based on. Our Christian walk is based on faith. It's having assurances of the promises of God, even though we can't see it. Even though we can't check every single box. Even though we don't know how God created the world. We have faith that He did. The Bible tells us that he did. How can we believe something like the story of creation? We can have faith in the story of creation, but we don't have faith that God can help us through whatever it is that we need help through. We try and drive our own lives through our world without faith. God has the answers that we're looking for. Our question is, are we giving it to Him?